Thank you for worshiping. You may be seated. I will tell you this, if there's one lady I know that would be chasing that donkey that day, shouting Hosanna, Sarah, you'd be right there at the front of the pack, calling it out, Hosanna, I'm just saying it. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. It's Palm Sunday, and I love the spiritual momentum, the spiritual momentum that God places in our heart if we're sensitive to it. As we walk from Lent, remember Ash Wednesday, you are dirt, and then we go all the way through this Lenten journey, and I always believe that God uses this experience of Lent to heighten us spiritually so that we can once again receive that great news, the good news, the gospel, that he is risen indeed, and that's next week. This morning, we are continuing our series, uh, Amazed and Afraid. If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you know we have been walking through, reading through the Gospel of Mark with an eye on the stories, and there's many of them, in which the people are either amazed at the things that Jesus is saying or doing, or they are sometimes afraid of the things that Jesus is saying and doing. And sometimes it's both. And so we've been walking through these uh, great moments this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, great. Please open it to Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I'll have it on the screen for us as well. Let's stand, please, for the reading from God's Word. Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders scribes, and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You say so. Then the chief priests accused Jesus of many things. So Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Thank you. At first, when this text was uh, given to me for this Sunday, I looked at it, and, and I, I really loved to dig into the Word and the history of the Word. And my first thought was, all right, let's, let's dig into who is Pilate and explore the accusations that the chief priests were bringing against Jesus and, and why then Jesus would be so amazed, not necessarily what Jesus said, but what he didn't say. But then you notice that here in the trial scene in the, in the chapter preceding that, Anytime Jesus is asked directly, who are you? He gives a clever answer, but when he's accused falsely, he says nothing. And Pilate, again, is amazed at the silence. And I thought, oh, we could talk about, you know, how God reveals truth differently to those who maybe come with skepticism and, and critique versus those who genuinely seek to know the identity of, of God and how to experience his love. But then, as I was looking at that, and I thought, oh, that'd be good, the question just sort of hung out there in the air because it's a huge question and it's just sort of sitting there in the middle of the story and it kept calling me to look at it and look at it more deeply. Are you, Pilate asked, the king of the Jews? It's just sort of hanging there. 
are you the king of the Jews? Now, I thought about this from a kind of a 3D perspective, right? Pilate asked this to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And guess what? The Jews are standing right there, the most highest ranking of them. In the most highest ranking of all places, Jerusalem, chief priests, the elders, they're all there. And in front of them, because they're all in that same proximity, are you king of the Jews? Are you their king? But I think about it from the chief priest's perspective. And again, I'm always trying careful not to overly vilify them. I mean, yes, they were getting caught up in their anger and in their jealousy, and it was reaching a high pitch right now. But I was curious how they heard that question from Pilate. Are you, Jesus, their king? That makes me wonder, how did they hear that? Is this my king? Of course, they've already made up their their mind. No. But today, even, that question just sort of hangs there in the ether for us. Is Jesus the king of God's covenant people? Is Jesus the king of those whom God has called his people? Taking that further... The question still hangs there for us today. Is Jesus our king? Is Jesus the king of all God's people? Now, long before Pilate was able to look right in the eyes of Jesus and ask him, are you king? Who are you? The question of Jesus' identity is one that is all the way through the Gospel of Mark, and I might even say through all the Gospels. It actually is the thing that people are either amazed at or they're afraid of, is Jesus, who are you? In fact, many times throughout the Gospel, for those of you who have been able to read it along with us, you've seen that question emerge a few times out of people's lips. They go, who are you? Or who is this? The questions are there, and Mark, throughout his writing, continues to answer that question for us. Is Jesus our king? The answer to that either is amazing or incredibly fear-inducing. Is he our king? So I think we have to continue to ask ourselves, is Jesus our king? Is he our ruler? Is he our Lord? Is he the one to whom we serve? Is he the one to which we, we worship and we glorify? We put light on, we we reveal. Now, this is just one of the titles, one of the identities that Mark has shown us in the gospel that he wants us to wrestle with, he wants us to consider. Is Jesus our king? One of the other things that he asks repeatedly is, is Jesus our savior? Is Jesus the savior of the people? And it's an especially ripe question in the passage we had enacted earlier today on the Palm Sunday moment. Remember that, where Jesus being welcomed into Jerusalem like a conquering hero, like a, like a savior. Hosanna, they said. We'll explore that in just a bit. But what about today? The question still applies. Do we need a savior? Or do we turn to other things or other people to redeem or to save us out of our current troubles? But there's another part of the identity of Jesus that is being revealed in the Gospel of Mark for us, and it's this question here. Is Jesus really our God? Is he our God? Now, I often interact with people who would be faithful Christians. They've accepted 
uh, Jesus uh, for dying for their sin and, and have been raised by the power of God. They may even choose at some, some level to honor him as their Lord or their king. But, ooh, you get me a little bit if you start at saying Jesus is God. Now, I got to tell you, these are not three diff different questions. This is the question for us to wrestle with as we read the gospel of Mark or any gospel. This is the question that we ask ourselves every day when we say, is Jesus our Savior? Is he our King? Is he our God? This question, though, of who is Jesus is something we especially need to consider and be honest with as we enter into what is known as a holy week. As I mentioned to you, and I really, I see it in my own life. I see it in my own life right now. God uses this Lenten journey to call us to a fresh and renewed and deeper understanding of who is Jesus and who is he to me and to us. This question of who is Jesus, is he savior, is he king, is he God, is probably the most important question you'll ever have to answer yourself. It's probably the most important question that anyone's ever going to have to answer. Because here's the thing, we don't really get to pick and choose. We're going to say, well, maybe Savior, but not really King, or yes, Savior, not really King, sure not God. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Gospels portray him to be. We have to wrestle, each one of us, with our answer, pushing past maybe our Sunday school response to a real answer that emerges out of our heart and soul just as Jesus looked into the eyes of his disciples one day after asking them, who do people say I am? And they told him, this is the word on the street. He looked him in the eyes and he said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? Let me pray for God's word to continue to be revealed to us this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence is here with us. And fathers, we're gathered in community as we've been opening our hearts in worship, as we've been praying together, Lord. I pray this morning that you would reveal to us more deeply who you are and specifically who you are to us. Push past, Lord, break down some of the defensive barriers we have in our hearts and our minds and reach deeply into each one of us this morning as we begin this holy week and a fresh appreciation of your gospel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So who do you say that I am? Is Jesus our Savior? Now the people who were there on that, what we know as Palm Sunday, sure thought so. As Jesus was riding in in that humble coat, colt, with the cloaks on the ground and the palm trees waving and singing out, Hosanna, they prayed, just as we did earlier. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. They welcomed Jesus as if he was a conquering hero, their savior. Now, most of them, we know, probably thought Jesus was there to release them from some oppressive political situation. They were under Roman rule. They weren't free. And they thought, this is it. This guy is not only wise, he seems anointed, he could feed people at will, he could release people of afflictions and from evil spirit. This is the guy 
and he's going to come bring our land back. This is why throughout the Gospels, Jesus was kind of haunted by this confusion about where his kingdom would be. Would it be here on earth? Would they get Jerusalem back? Hey, are we getting our land back? They would ask him, and hey, when we get our land back, can I be someone special in the kingdom? You see, Hosanna is echoed from uh, the psalm, Psalm 118, which is where we translate the word Hosanna. It's really, please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, save us, they were crying out. Give us success. Set us free from oppressive political systems and maybe evil rulers. See, they maybe didn't realize at the moment that Jesus had actually come to do something much bigger than free them from physical oppression. He had come to save them, all right, but he had come to save them from something much more sinister. He came to save them from their sin and deliver them into God's kingdom which was, yes, on earth as it is in the heavens. Now, it's not easy for them, and it was, it's not easy for us, to remember that our real problems aren't necessarily political or even personal. Our real problem is sin. The world has a sin problem. And that's what causes oppressive political situations. That's what causes personal pain. We are oppressed. We are born in bondage, and we are being held down. But our real enemy isn't someone else. It's within us. It's our sin. And Jesus alone has come to save us from our sin. As it's written in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he came. He himself is the sacrifice that atones not only for our sin, but all the sin of all the world. Jesus has come to save us, but save us out of our sin and make us then right with God. He saves us out of death and delivers us into eternal life. Fix the problem of sin, you begin to fix the problems of the world, politically and personally. Jesus came to save us, yes, but save us from our sin. That's the bigger problem. Next, is Jesus our God? Is Jesus our God? And that's one that, again, even many people who would say they follow Jesus or they, they have grown up in the faith, that's one that we really can wrestle with. Wait, is Jesus really our God? But it's one of the questions that literally frames the entire gospel of Mark. Let me show you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it begins just saying, okay, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And throughout the story, he comes back to that now and again, but in the end, Mark 15, verse 39, pretty much near the end of the book, as the Roman centurion watched Jesus bleeding out on the cross, and then when he breathed out his last and released his spirit, it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark at the very end that the centurion looked and without any context of what else had happened to Jesus prior to that, said, surely, surely this man was the Son of God. Is Jesus God? It's a question we have to wrestle with, knowing that Jesus can save us back to God only because he is fully God and fully man. It's an identity that is unique to him in all creation. He's the only begotten son. 
He shares in the full divine essence and spirit of God himself. And that's how he is uniquely in the position to save us, because he is God. Now, I remember having uh, a time with a friend who was uh, trying to figure it out for himself, and we were talking over scripture, and he was like, okay, look, I, I get it. I get it that Jesus died for my sin. I, I got that, and I got that, you know, then, then I probably give him some allegiance, then I follow him, he's my Lord, but ah, doesn't he pray to God? Isn't he like son of God? Isn't he like doing the will of God? How can he do all that if he is God? Long story short, we opened up the scriptures and kind of worked through from the Old Testament through the New, through the epistles, the later writers, what they said and what they thought. And it was clear. And, and I just remember, like, it, he was kind of stuttering and stammering with it. And then finally, just peace fell over him. And he got soft in his eyes, and he looked at me, and he said, wait a minute. You're telling me that God himself came here to suffer and die for me so that I could be free. He's like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I was like, yeah, it's the most beautiful thing that anyone's ever heard. That's why it's called the good news. God himself has come to die for us. See, in every other world faith religion, it's what we do to try to get better so that we can be better to God. Only in the Christian story does God descend here, come down to redeem his people by giving his own life? It's like they said in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, when he was just starting his ministry and they looked at him and they were like, wait a minute, as, as Jesus was telling people, you know, oh, your sins are forgiven. They're like, who could forgive sin but God himself? Right. That's the whole point. In Colossians chapter 1, it's expressed this way, written, of course, after the Gospels, reflecting on who Jesus was, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The author Paul writes, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, God was pleased. Notice that he's very happy about this. Pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether they're on earth or on heaven. And God does this by making peace through the blood of his cross. Is Jesus our God? Only God can forgive our sin. Quickly back to the third part of our question that we're wrestling with this week. Is Jesus our king? Now, I put that out there knowing kind of in recent news, uh, royalty, are we still doing that? Doesn't that really mean people that think they're better than everyone else by some weird birthright and they're very pompous and they usually live luxurious lives? based on the wealth of other people, or maybe we start to think of dictators or foreign leaders that call themselves king that make great lives out of the back of oppressing their people. We can think that, and that starts to shadow a little bit of who we think of when we think of God as king. I know we don't do kings much anymore in our world, but what we know for sure neutrally is the king is the one who rules, and the king is the one who sets the rules. The king is the one who makes boundaries and defends and protects the people within those boundaries. Now again, we have so many failed leaders in our world and even in the church that sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that idea that Jesus can be a king. Like I said, many of us might imagine that we do need a savior. And we might even trust to some measure as it's been revealed to us that Jesus 
can be one with God, but we need to answer in our hearts if we trust him enough to be our king. If Jesus is our king, then our allegiance must be to him as our leader and our Lord. If Jesus is our king, then we must accept him as our king, which gives understanding to why we worship him and why we live to glorify him in word and in deed. If Jesus is our king, then that is why we trust him to lead us and protect us. In the Gospel of John, it gives us a different perspective on this moment when Pilate asked Jesus, So, are you a king? In John's Gospel version, Jesus answered, just like you say, I am a king. But he goes on to say, for this I was born. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. In other places he said, my sheep hear my voice and they obey. If Jesus is our king, then he earns our allegiance, he earns our faith, he earns our worship, we live for him, and we follow him. To say Jesus is our king means that we see ourselves under his reign and his rule, not as a dictator, but as a good king, like literally the best king, literally like the king of all kings, or like the lord of all lords. Now, on Good Friday, I hope you're able to attend some of the Holy Week uh, services we have, we're going to express more of this idea of who is Jesus and the crowning of King Jesus with a crown of thorns and there on the cross. So join us if you can for Good Friday, which is at 7 p.m. Maundy Thursday, of course, is the part of the story. You know, no one likes to go see just the finale of a movie, right? We want to see the whole story. So Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and, and, uh, and Resurrection Sunday, that's, we want you to experience the whole story. Please join us for that. But going back to this question that's sort of hanging there with us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, the answer to this question might come from a place where you feel like you've got it all figured out, or maybe this morning you're just, just reaching out by faith. But I will say this. It is the most important question that we can ever consider. Who do you say Jesus is? And we need to be honest about our response. Is Jesus our Savior? Is he our King? Is Jesus our God? And I can't imagine a better time than now during this Holy Week as the Holy Spirit's doing a fresh work in all of our hearts, bringing about this kind of spring renewal in our heart and soul to ask us, where are we? I can't think of a better Sunday than a Palm Sunday when we remember the day they opened the gates and they welcomed in Jesus as their conquering king. Maybe this is the first day you want to admit and receive to say, Jesus, I need a savior. I need a savior. Maybe today's the day you look and you go, hey, I've been serving myself. I feel kind of alone here, but I'm ready to serve and be protected by a good king. 
Maybe this is the time you're thinking to yourself, I really want to know all the love of God that he has for me, that he poured out there on the cross and the power of God that's going to raise him out of the tomb. Maybe today is the day we want to pray from our hearts together a prayer that we can only pray by faith. Maybe, again, it's not all the way clear to us. It doesn't have to be. It just has to be the beginning of our new story. So if you're there, or if this is a, a Sunday where you just want renewal, just want to reset your hearts on who is Jesus, well, let's stand together before we enter into responsive worship and just pray this together out of our hearts. Say, Jesus, I believe you are our Savior. Thank you for giving your life as ransom for us to be free. Jesus, I believe you are King. You have opened the gates of heaven to us so we can enter your eternal kingdom by faith. Jesus, I believe you are our God. Help us to live for you. Lead us and teach us your ways. This we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.